Well, shalom everyone. This is Dr. Dina Dye, and we are on Returning to Eden, and I have my famous co-host with me, Jeff Morton. Hello, everybody. And uh, we're excited to be back. Um, it was, it's been kind of an odd day for both of us, and in case you can't tell, that you probably can, I have a respiratory <laughs> virus once again, thanks to my dear, wonderful grandchildren, of whom I had all four of them last, uh, I was not here last week because of that, but so all four kids, grandkids were in town, and uh, of course several of them live here, but one of them got sick, and then two, and then three, and then little Safta here ended up picking up a virus too. So I love my grandkids, but oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and mine just left. <laughs> my, my son and my my uh, my son and his his wife to be, uh, they just made a quick stop over and brought up my nine year old granddaughter to pick up a hoop skirt that her grandmother made for her for her sock hop okay. this. So uh, nice. they, they literally just left, and uh, uh, we didn't get to spend the kind of time because I didn't want Dina to man the show by herself knowing she had a, what is this, the 15th respiratory thing you've had <laughs> last year? <laughs> is that my 15th, 19th nervous breakdown? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we are here, and yeah. uh, Dina, you got some, some news about your book? Yeah, and, and we'll probably share share a little bit about it because uh, it's it's going to be out there for everybody pretty soon. So I had uh, I had quite a few pre-orders and I had taken some orders way back in mid-December. You know, not really knowing how long it was going to take in the next few weeks to to get the formatting done and to get the book printed. It is quite a long process, but anyways, we. So those books are already going out, and I've got a big order in that's coming to me very shortly here. So all of you who pre-ordered, you'll be getting your book, I'd say, within the next 10 days. And uh, all of all of that, I'm trying to take care of all my pre-orders. And then the folks who are at the Temple Conference that pre-ordered as well, your books will be coming uh, probably in about two weeks. So hang tight. They're on their way. I know a few people even already have their books, and uh, so I'm very excited about that. And then I'm probably March 1st going to have a, a big rollout. Um, those of you who are familiar with Lion and Lamb Ministry, they put out a monthly magazine called Yavo, and my book will be the featured article in that magazine. So I'm very excited about that. I'm going to have some Facebook giveaways and stuff. I've got some uh, uh, reviews that some have written. So I'm going to be sharing a lot of that probably the first week of March, and then it'll be up uh, on Amazon, Ingram, Spark, and it'll be on my website for everyone to purchase. Very good, very good. Now this book is, um, folks, I, I, I have seen the rough draft of, of Chapter 1 uh, several months ago. I'm sure there's some edits and whatnot, but right out the gate, this book is going to challenge your theological makeup with a whole bunch of researched historical connections to an actual past, not a, this isn't fiction. It, it is and it isn't, but it's using actual historical people to bring the points home. I think this book is going to challenge you quite a bit. Uh, I really do. I think this is a, this is a game changer, and I, I'm hoping that the, Many of the um, theological world 
takes a peek at what you put together because I think it's really going to uh, cause people to go, well, wait a minute, let me, let's rethink this for a minute. And that seems to be the paradigm shift that a lot of people are in right now is rethinking the status quo, looking for more. And I think your book does that. I think this book and the first book are, are the door opening. I really do believe that. So yeah, I'm looking I'm, forward to it. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, I actually just finished reading um, The Prefigured Tabernacles by L. Michael Morales. And uh, this is actually in preparation for my next book, which is The Temple Revealed in Noah's Ark. But there's there's a lot of material in there that really connected back, connecting Adam to Noah to Moses. It was it was, it was an excellent book. It took you know it took a little while to read it, and I actually uh, sent my first book, Temple Real in Creation, to Mr. Morales, and he really enjoyed it. And he is the scholar's scholar, hmm. but I I feel like we're on the same page. So uh, I thanked him for this this book, the Temple, uh, the Tabernacle prefigured because it's really, really good. And the guy has like 38 pages of bibliography. Wow. So, and some of the sources that I've been using, so I, I was I was excited excited by what that. What's the name of the book again? The Tabernacle Prefigured. I should warn you, this book costs a fortune. Um, so did Joseph's book. <laughs> yeah. This book uh, was like ninety dollars, and I finally this was found, yeah, I finally found it for sixty-five shipped. The and, tabernacle uh, revisited. Pre, prefigured, and it's just about the cosmic mountain, the cosmic mountain in Genesis. So, uh, the cosmic mountain related to creation, the cosmic mountain as it relates to Adam on the mountain with Eden, the cosmic mountain. In terms of Noah, because the ark is on Mount Ararat, and then the cosmic mountain connection to Moses on Mount Sinai. So it it is a seam running through all these three things. So I felt uh, in the Adam story and the Garden of Eden and the mountain is that I've set the foundation to really understand that thread as it goes through those three these three figures of king and high priest. It's, so there was a lot, a lot of confirmation in his book that I was on the right track. You know, it's one thing to be, you know, in a sort of insulated world of, of folks. When you get out of that and you see in the world of scholarship that there's, they're confirming what you've put to word, I mean, that yeah. for me is really powerful. And it really um, I, it makes me trust that the Father is leading me in this way. And so... Um, <coughs> I was just going to give a bit of an outline because the book is basically five chapters. And the first chapter is called Eden. The second one's called The Garden. Third chapter is The Field. Fourth chapter is Kings. And fifth chapter, Priests. So you can see everything gets encompassed in there. And uh, I set the stage, you know, starting with sort of work, starting at the top of the mountain in Eden, in the Holy Holies, and kind of work our way down. The last chapter on priests, uh, I don't really go into the priesthood per se on what they did. More, what, more of what I was doing was trying to say, okay, you know, kind of what would Jesus do? <laughs> if we're all to be priests and kings, how does that look today? So I wanted to make sure that I tied the whole book into practical application for today. How, do, how are we a priest serving the kingdom today on this earth? So um, that that thread again runs 
that runs through the book. That's actually a, um, a good a good thing, and I'll pick it up later on, um, about where my brain is going with all of this for these last 10 years. Because for me, and you know, you talk to so many people, and you find all these nuggets and pieces of information that kind of corroborate what you're thinking. But what I'm thinking is really undoing what I was taught. And, and to consider, to consider the, the glorious temple of Israel and then to this one being built by um, Solomon, refurbished, whatever. But to actually, just for a, for a nanosecond, imagine the temple complex that Adam was placed into. You know, when we see that the Father created the cosmology and all of the things in the heavens, which bedazzled the world for, for every millennium, for Adam to be placed, to be elevated to a position of high priest or king and placed into a similar structure that the world has no concept of other than a garden with vegetation in it. Yeah. Is mind-blowing, Dina. Well, and the faith community... So, this is a real problem because, of course, Paul, we know, refers to us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is absolutely impossible to understand if you don't see the temple pattern from the beginning. And the temple pattern is... That's the whole key to everything. Now, I mean, I'm not wanting, not wanting to beat a dead horse here. But to understand the complexity and the meaning and what drives what, what the temple is from the cosmos to the to the garden, to Noah's Ark, you know, to Mount Sinai and the tabernacle, those things have to become second nature in us. We have to know this inside out if we have any hope of understanding what we're supposed to look like today as a temple of the body of Messiah. It's just not possible without really grasping this in a really fundamental way. Well, I find it very interesting that in this particular time, since the uh, turn of the century, really, this information is, it's like, um, it's like it's being restored to, to a world that is in full rejection mode. And, and I got to say, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, that when you start realizing this particular material and you start studying this material, the one thing that is true in all of it is confirmation of the biblical narrative. It's inescapable. You cannot deny the story of creation. You cannot deny the story of Adam. You cannot deny the story of, of Yeshua or Jesus. You cannot deny the rebirth of the nation of Israel, which is emblematic to the confirmation of restoration happening. You can't deny it. It's like it becomes second nature when you realize what being the temple of the living God is all about. Once you have this information, once you've gone in, it's, I, I consider, I, I treat it like this, which is why I appreciate it so much the treasures of the temple course in Florida and what Rico and you guys put together down there, and particularly what Joe Good is bringing to the conversation, is because when we say that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that's so abstract in our generation 
that it really becomes almost cliche-ish. Mm -hmm. But when you start going into the study of the temple, you start realizing that Adam, I this is just me, folks. I believe that Moses said, no, Pharaoh is not where you guys come from. Your story begins with a guy named Adam. I really believe that that's what Moses is doing. Absolutely. And all of the rest of it's not important. What's important is being restored to your identity. And that's been time and memorial true if you are part of the house of the Father, is being restored to what that means. And so I liken it to being a citizen. If I wanted to go be a citizen of Jamaica or someplace, I'd have to go through their curriculum in order to understand their rules. Immigration, that's why I find it interesting that immigration is such a big topic. Because if you're going to immigrate out of Babylon into the kingdom of God, you probably have to study the rules. And I think that's largely what we're talking about. Let's, let's look at what was required in order to be in covenant with the king. That's the whole of your book. Yeah, and see, here's what's, what's happened. In the world of scholarship, this is all well understood, well documented, well known. I, like I said, uh, L. Michael Morales has got a book with 38 pages of bibliography of, you know, works going back to the early 20s in which all of these guys understood the cosmic temple, you know, the temple, the Eden is the temple and the mountain. This is nothing new to them. The problem is they're in their little world and their little ivory towers and so they are unable to put, you know, it's just an academic exercise. It's not a faith thing. It's not how they walk in the midst of the congregation. And so their material has been largely behind the veil. So someone like me comes along, because I, there's some of these scholars, I wouldn't even put myself in the same category. These guys are scholars. But someone like me can come along and sort of be the bridge to take that material and start bringing it and filtering it down into the, to the larger community. And then, of course, I add my own little tweak to it. But uh, like I said, in the world of scholarship, this is, this is, if you walked into a, you know, room full of, a conference full of scholars, they're going, well, well, of course, where have you been? <laughs> but well, then they don't tie it to our walk. Well, it doesn't filter down into the congregation. No, not at all. Your thing. Yeah. And so the pastors are basically thumbing through the scriptures and pulling out sermons that largely don't have any of this information as foundation. Right. I mean, that's kind of what the problem is. The people are leaving the church in droves because we've heard the sermon over and over and yeah. over again. Yeah. We don't have the depth or or I would say the exegesis that goes along with kingdom language. We don't have that at all. It's not yeah. taught. Well, it's and not, even this, this guy, uh, um, Michael Morales, in his book, uh, I think it was, when was it written? 2013, I want to say. I could be wrong. But he was, every time I read about the, the temple in this, in this um, pattern, all of the scholars say the same thing. It is the, the most neglected subject bar none, whether in scholarship or clearly in the in the faith community. It is, you know, and cl clearly as well, it seems, 
the Father has chosen this time to, you know, open it up in many more ways for people to understand. And, you know, I can go into a conference course or whatever, and I can just synthesize this material down and explain it in a way that's easy to understand for people. And that's key, I think. Well, um, as long as you make an addendum when you start talking, and the addendum has to sound something like this. Okay, guys, I'm 38 years into this, so we're going to start at year 38. <laughs> and work backwards. I hope you can keep up <laughs> because they don't know year one and year, year two. Uh, on the other hand, once they, once they themselves decide to pursue this, I mean, I can't tell you the show we did last week, and I do apologize for the audio that we had a problem. Uh, ultimately, it took a while to try to get what we were able to produce out. But all of the people that we had on the program last last week, Dean, and I know you listen to the show, they, they're wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. They're wide open. I got such a beautiful letter from uh, Pastor, um, oh, I knew I was going to do this. Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel. Yeah. Uh, about the enthusiasm and, and loving this. But his whole ministry as a Pentecostal pastor has blossomed. Yeah. And he's, he's like so excited about the material. And the problem is, and I, I really want the audience to hear this, is that we, we've been taught one thing for so long that if you throw nine other things into the pot, it becomes almost overwhelming. But those nine other things are where the one thing we've been taught comes from. So we have to look at those nine other things as an analogy because those nine other things are what the church has been teaching. It's like, a, um, it's like an abstract conglomeration of those nine other things boiled down into an hour and a half on Sunday mornings without the nine other things. Well, we, and we've been kind of talking about this through the week and stuff. Um, the real problem I see in with the... Hebrew roots, and even with the church, is this failure to systematically train the people. And yep. we're not discounting the fellowship because that's a key component not in any at relation. All. Relationship yep. is, you know, what the Father is all about. But I, you know, I'm in a group, so I'm I'm watching in the group, and I, you know, help teach from time to time. But there is not systematic scripture study systematic training in worship and liturgy, systematic training in missions and expanding the kingdom, systematic training in leadership and character development, and, of course, training up the next generation. It is not happening. It's not, not happening. Hap it's not happening in the Hebrew roots world. It's not happening in the Messianic Jewish world. It is not happening in the church world. And so, you know, in the church world, you go in, you check in for your hour and 15 minutes, hear this nice sort of, pablum type sermon and feel good for five and then go home in the hebrew roots world you come together you have a midrash and everybody says what they feel <laughs> somebody kind of coordinates yes. it and you have then, a nosh or an oneg yeah and then everybody goes home and the, and the messianic jewish world it might be a little more formal but i am not seeing and you know this isn't it's not a criticism per se it's just i see where we have to go and there's a place for all of it the I've talked about this before the fivefold ministry is not 
effective in the congregation, in the little groups in the home. It's it needs to be. You've got to have you know the pastors and the shepherds and the teachers and the whatever else. I can't think of right at the moment. Well, what you know what I'm saying? I, and, I re- well, go ahead. I go ahead. Finish your thing. No, and, and so this is a problem because those are supposed to operate within the congregation. Go ahead. Well, when we brought Skip Moen out here, he said something that I thought was kind of profound. In fact, he said several things that were kind of profound. But one of the things he said is, we do a Greek type. Everything is presented from a Greek perspective. In other words, you have the head of the class and the class. And they're all facing each other, and we're being fed this. And the Hebrew way was to sit around in a circle and have a discussion. We don't have a discussion. We don't talk about it. And he said, um, why on earth would you want to sit week after week in a building where everybody agreed with each other? Because the, the learning doesn't, it doesn't – I just agreed with what he was saying, like, unlike what we experienced in Florida, where Rico, we had the question and answer period. We had four – we had four, including Ryan, we had five – perspectives, but we had an intense classroom type environment where we had pen and paper and we were learning. And that's, you're not going to have that. That doesn't happen in a sermon, but it does happen in a training environment. And I remember Rico told me a year ago, I don't want to do conferences. I want to do courses so people are learning the material. And I mean, I really, I put something on Facebook, and I think a lot of people might have misunderstood it. I'm not saying I don't appreciate congregations. I just want congregations that produce discipleship, that produces people to go out and, and teach people to be the light of the kingdom so others want to see it. I, I think the ideal of spreading the gospel message is part of the problem. Um, how do I want to say this? But who's spreading the gospel message? Where, where is that in the United States of America? Give me one source that stands out in the mind of every American. Where are you hearing that in this nation? Well, and you think about the ancient Hebrew people. I mean, the one... The things they were all, education was all, and I don't even like that word, but education was always at the top. I mean, from small children. Most Jews, I mean most Jews, Jew, lawyers tend to be Jewish because that is the way they were taught to debate, to argue with reason and logic. Well, don't we, I know it. <laughs> we've lost our critical thinking skills. And so yes, you are. can't, yeah, you can't go out if you don't cultivate that part in you to be able to debate. I mean, that is a totally lost art on purpose. Sabotage the mind and critical thinking skills of the masses. And and then, you know, you can't have an argument with people. You can't have a debate with people who respond by name-calling and emotion. You have Which to is where able, we are. It's just exactly where we've it's, ended up. It's, by design. I, I agree because they stopped teaching history and critical thinking. They yeah. stopped. They're, now they're starting to. They're teaching our children 
to be drones of the state mm -hmm. in most public education systems. Oh, absolutely. And in the church system, they're it's teaching. The same. Well, they're teaching Christianity. But not, the same way, these people well, are in the. Yeah, they that's can't true. even have an. You you can. There's no. So if I present something like what I'm talked about in my book about Adam not necessarily being the first created out of material substantive person that perhaps he was king and high priest and these are the reasons why I can give you my argument and show you why I think that's the case there is no way that the response will be emotional because they are attached to that reality and I can't get past it well, it's I've already experienced that I mean I, it's for me it's it's like in the I'm going to use a different analogy, but it's the same thing. In the black community, in, in my experiences, when I'm in the inner cities and I say the word conservative, oh, my God. I, if stoning was still allowed, I think I'd be stoned. And yet I can't have a conversation about why I feel this way. Right. You know? because yeah, it's I'm, not really any different. It's the same kind of thing, and what, I'm, what you and I are both talking about is a societal thing that has happened to where we, we appreciate you participating in this and participating in that, but shut up and don't say anything while you do it. I mean, I've had pastors throw me out of their church because I wanted to have a conversation about these very things. I mean, do you know what it's like to be met by the pastors of the church? On Sunday morning with your whole family and asked not to come through the front door? That happened uh, yes. to me in my family. That happened to me. <laughs> that actually happened to me in my family. Yeah. No, it's not Here's the other problem. As long as we're all comfortable within these four walls, then we can do church together. But the moment you step outside of those four walls, it seems like the relationships vanish. Right. And, and that's another problem, because if we're citizens of the king, it's, it's no different than if we're, if we're athletes on a sports team. If we're not all working together, we're not going to win the game. If, well, we're, if we're having a military, if we're having a military, just a final thought, if we're having a military operation and everybody's doing their own thing, we're going to get defeated. And yet in the churches and in the family of God, in the house of Israel, uh, that's like... That's a pipe dream. Everybody wants it, but nobody's willing to do it. Yeah. And that's the problem. That's the problem I've been struggling with for several months now. Well, I feel at this, we've arrived at the juncture where we are ill-equipped to do battle with the culture. <laughs> and so that wow, that's is... that's a big statement. Yeah, it is a big statement, but my heart is, okay, how do we, how do we train in all these areas to prepare folks because our... We, we cannot stay insulated and hidden in our little community. We've got to be equipped to go out into the kingdom, I mean, out into the marketplace and do battle with the culture. The culture is, the, you know, it has swallowed up God's image bearers. Mm -hmm. And so we need the skills to do that. And so that, I don't know how, you know, it looks. I don't know what God is doing. I'm just saying this is the, to me, this is the answer. This isn't discounting getting together and, and being with you know, like-minded believers and sharing right. and loving and helping those in your community who are in need. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about we gotta 
you know, how do we go out and face the giant out there that in a secular, humanist, depraved culture, how do we deal with this? And I don't, I'm not seeing anybody dealing with it. That's well, just my feeling. The sad truth to the, to the, to the whole thing, and I can use Jew and Gentile, if we, if we could just not rely on the past to point fingers, if, if we believe in the Word of God, if we believe in the Scriptures, if we believe in these things, then our belief cannot be smaller than what we disagree about. And unfortunately, what we disagree about supersedes our belief in the one king. It, it's like, as long as we can disagree with one another in the same family, we don't have to be family. And that's the wrong attitude. Yeah, well, we've, the end of, we've turned on each other. The enemy's out there in the marketplace. The enemy is holding hostage people to, you know, untold addictions and everything else. And we're all, mm. you know, we think each other are the enemy. The enemy has come within and stirred up people against one another. And the stuff going on in the Hebrew Roots movement is just intolerable to me. Well, the stuff going on in, in the church system is... Yeah. So what, what we need to recognize who the enemy is, and we need to learn how to deal with it. That's, I don't know, it seems pretty yeah. simple to me. but The enemy's not. You're, you're, well, oh, just before I forget, there's the conversation brewing to have Rico, Dina Dye, Joe Good, and even Ryan White come to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, this is a conversation that I had with Rico's son this morning. I've been talking to Rico about it. I've reached out to a location here. This is a course. This is not a conference. This is a classroom thing. This is something that you will have to open your wallets to. And for those of you who are interested in going back to school to learn about the temple, the sacred space, the place of the dwelling of the Father, um, would you pray to that end? And we'll see if we can't bring a little bit of light, a whole lot of teaching up here in the Pacific Northwest. This is something that uh, right now we're looking at dates in July. I don't have a location. But I will do the legwork. I will do whatever it takes to make it happen for those people interested in attending the course that we took. Folks, you're not going to hear me stop talking about that, okay, because it blew my mind. What Rico presented to all of us, Dina, yourself included, was almost exactly what we need, really. We're, we're out of time, Dina. We're, we're there. Okay. It's 631. Did you have a closing thought before we say goodbye to our audience? Um, not, uh, you know, other than, uh, uh, you know, we're just trying to share our heart here. Uh, we need the wisdom of God going forward on all these fronts. Things are percolating in our hearts and in our vision. And so, you know, this is just kind of talking out loud. We don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. I just would appreciate people's prayers and who knows what will be birthed out of all this. Amen. And, and, and just one more little quick thing. We received $75 from people supporting our program uh, from a couple of listeners. And, and I want you to know, and I think Dina will echo this, those dollars help us. And we do appreciate it. Uh, it it's, it's really not about the money, but when it comes down to it, money does help us. And I, I think you will agree with that, Dina. Yeah. Thanks so, so much. So God, God bless you guys. And we yeah. will see you next week. Amen. Uh, Dina will not have a bronchial respiratory infection, and no. 
I won't have the kind of week I had this week, okay? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> God bless you guys. Shalom, shalom. Sh shalom. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.